Hi, and welcome to Drafting Compliance. I'm Kane, he's Tom, and we talked about risk assessments last time. Today, we're talking about the planning domain under FedRAMP. But before we get to that, we have some beers. What are we drinking today, Tom? We are actually drinking one of my favorite beers from Florida. This is High Lie. Um, High Lie. I think. From Florida. Yep, High Lie. High Lie from Florida. Correct. From Cigar City Brewing. Okay. Uh, down south, if I remember. I think it's around Tampa, maybe. Remember, I'm in Washington but, State, um, so Florida is very much down south, yeah. yes. So, um, you know, for some folks, the, the name Highlight might sound familiar. Uh, it's uh, reminding me of an Archer episode where he got beamed in the head with a wooden ball. Is it that sport? So your reference and my reference are different. Okay. I would have said it reminds me of the beginning of Miami Vice where they show the people playing Highlight. See, that was in but, Archer's uh, Miami Vice, like, mashup year it was fun but e either way yes that is correct it's the helmeted field hockey looking uh, game but with hooked um ball catchers or whatever I, i'm sure they have a, a proper name kane i just i don't know what the proper name is that's all right but this is an it this is an ipa which we had, oh. i think anybody who follows IPA. the show knows that this is my favorite mm. um and it also happens to be the most common type of beer these days uh in the craft brew industry so you know i will say um, we, anyway cool, we do cool have, looking can we too. do have boulevard brewing uh downtown and they are really known for their ipas and anytime i walk by there it smells like rancid sweat socks um that's mm, kind of just the vibe delicious. yeah i know and yet it's really popular people go in and they they enjoy the beer there i have never enjoyed a beer there weirdly you know i'm actually looking closely at the can for the first time and it actually shows guys playing highlight on the can so i'm sure that won't translate at all oh yeah bit. i see it now it's it's very yeah. subtle maybe we'll be able to get in post some kind of like uh less shiny version of the can i don't know yeah, maybe either way i'm gonna crack this beer the anticipation is killing me I do like that it comes in a smaller format. I, I feel like some of the ones, there's just, oh, I'm spilling it. I can't talk and pour a beer today. I spilled it. Oh, wow. That's, that's got an aroma. Mm. And look at the, uh, the wonderful amount of top on top of that beer. And that's, isn't it called a head? That's impressive. Tom. It's called a head. Yeah. You yeah. said it was called a top. No, that's just confusing. You're messing with me. Well, either way, uh, it works, <laughs> but it has it has really rich, creamy looking bubbles. That's true, and it, it which I like, kind of a citrus caramel um, scent. I get the citrus for sure, um, and definitely today is not IPA the best day well. for my nose. But yeah, you get you get um, I get a little banana. I don't get a little I don't citrus get the banana. I get the citrus, and that and the what are those things it. called? Hops. We've got a picture hops, of one yeah, of those you, on the can. This this has got hops you'll, in it. You'll always get the hops out of this. Mm, goody. Let's 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 try a drink. <laughs> okay. I'm waiting for my foam to calm down. I guess it's just not going to. So the first mouthful is just going to be foam. That beer will come right through. Yep, that's just that that's just right foam. foam. Yeah, but it's also going to end up like I'm going to end foam on my nose. I've had that happen. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the old <laughs> Peanuts cartoons where, like, Charlie Brown goes to kick the fo football and Lucy just 
yoinks it out at the end. Yep. This is pretty much sure. that vibe. Like it smelled citrusy, it smelled, and yet here I am kicking it at air. Uh, or whatever the analogous well, highlight uh, would be. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe missing the ball. This ch- is ch- this checking the the ball out of bounds or something. I don't know. Yeah, this tastes H- like here's disappointment. Here's what I'll say. Oh, I, I disagree. This has a, this does have more caramely undertones than most IPAs that we've drank. Yeah, that's true. And you identified that on the nose. Uh-huh. It isn't nearly as hop forward as many of the IPAs we've drank, uh, which makes it much more approachable for folks that aren't. Um, super big fans of IPA, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I was just hoping this one would be a little um, calmer. Apparently, it's not. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You know, that citrus isn't nearly as pronounced as it smells either. Yeah, I was kind of hoping it would be citrusy. This is very so in, some, in some regards, this has a has sort of a West Coast approach. All right, so that's where. Anyway, I'm in danger of drinking it all because I'm enjoying it immensely. And that's true. This is one of your favorite beers, and here I am just saying it's basically terrible. Um, I will oh, think I, about I it. Mind you've said that about all of my favorite beers. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got to ask: Was that uh, cinnamon sticky bun ale though your favorite beer? Because I mean, it was yeah, certainly no. not my favorite. No. Beer. <laughs> yeah, we 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 both decided that one could go. Perhaps away. favorite episode, but not favorite beer. <laughs> Oh, dear me. <laughs> well, today we're supposed to be talking about FedRAMP. So um, just at a, a high level, Tom, what is the planning domain under FedRAMP? Because when you and I first talked about this, you said, let's talk about planning. I thought we were going to talk about planning, not that there was a planning domain under FedRAMP, which to me just feels, um, well, I can be a pedant at times. What's going on with the planning domain? Yeah, it does seem somewhat basic. Um you know, I think if if you're an information security professional who's heading up a maturity process in, in an organization, you're naturally doing a bunch of planning, right? So this is talking about something just slightly different. Um, really, it's broken into three kind of main pillars. But the main one, the one that people are going to walk away thinking about is the SSP document. Uh-huh. This is the family of controls that says, hey, you have to write everything down in what is called an SSP document. And FedRAMP gives you that format for the SSP document. And just SSP, for those viewers who are not clocking, that's a system security plan. Correct. Yep. So that that is the first and major pillar of this family of controls. But there's a couple others that I think are interesting. Uh, It it requires a rules of behavior um, agreement between you and your user base that's basically interfacing with the the, um, system control boundary. Mm -hmm. And then it has a, a discussion which feels a little unrelated, but uh, I think it is related uh, around architecture. Um, so those are the three main pillars. There's also some discussion around how you can tailor controls and things like that. But what you should really understand is this is all the work that is required to make sure that you have thought out your architecture, your security plan, and your execution and monitoring of that plan. And FedRAMP is, has felt it necessary to tell people how to do that and how to how to actually do those planning exercises so so tom how do organizations actually um, incorporate this planning domain uh, into their broader cybersecurity strategy under the fedramp uh, framework yeah this is this is where i have some disagreement with how this family of controls is actually deployed because it's really two pieces it's a pre-piece and it's a post piece you can't get an ssp put together in the fedramp template until after you have everything implemented because all of your details on how you implement go into the SSP. Right. 
right? So that's the after piece of this. But a big section of this family talks about what you do ahead of time. That's the architecture piece. And that's why I really don't feel it fits in here. So you have to be careful and you have to understand that before you ever even think about deploying a, a, a robust environment that's going to become FedRAMP moderate, you have an architectural piece sitting here tucked away in the planning that you have to go and, and solve for. So that's one of the real challenges, right, is to understand that there's a big piece of this ahead of time, and then there's a big piece of this kind of right at the tail end that you have to pull together. Yeah, and I want to talk about those challenges as well, because what other challenges are you seeing organizations facing when they're trying to meet the specific requirements in the planning domain? Yeah, some of it is just the the, the sheer abundance of fields that the, the, the federal government is asking you to fill out. Mm -hmm. If anybody has gone and looked at the SSP document, it's hundreds of pages, mm -hmm. right? So it's it's overwhelming. And lots of folks look at that document and they shy away from it right away. Um, th that is probably the single biggest barrier, in my opinion, uh, past maybe cost to implementing uh, a FedRAMP moderate program. I see lots of folks that that simply pause and never get back to the, the SSP document. Mm -hmm. Anything else in there that, that's really unique in planning? Yeah, I mean, the, the, to me, the rest of this is pretty rote, right? I mean, I think anybody who's who's been in IT long enough understands architecture and understand what it means to build a security architecture. Um, you know, put everything down on paper, make sure there's not holes and gaps, have it tested. I mean, that's that's architecture. Right. So that one's not hard. And certainly creating a, a rules of behavior approach to your system security plan. You already have a lot of this in your acceptable use. Right, program, right, right. Maybe right. some of it in your code maybe some of your code of conduct. So you're really pulling from those things and, and adding the, the prescriptive nature. So it's not particularly difficult. Okay, so some of this uh, is gonna seem is familiar the with the exception of the SSP. And I, I was thinking about this earlier and before the show, we were talking about this, Tom, about um, how the planning domain really aligns with other industry standards and uh, other frameworks in cybersecurity. I was thinking about it like, you know, the SSP is definitely unique, but some of those other things, thinking about architecture and, and you know, having an acceptable use policy, those feel like they're aligned to other frameworks like ISO or of course the other NIST families. Yeah, I would say you're gonna be very comfortable in this if, of course, if, you've, if you're familiar with NIST, right? This comes right from the pages of NIST. Mm -hmm. the, the sense of having an SSP, um, maybe CMMC, uh, but there, there is not, there is not, I would say, a long tradition of, of this approach. And it really goes back to the idea that um, I, think, I think the folks at NIST understand that people forget to write things down. Yes. So this is, this, is, this is forcing you to write things down, right? So I don't see, I mean, if you go and look at a lot of other frameworks, I don't see this requirement, certainly not as prescriptive as we see in FedRAMP, mm -hmm. but certainly elements of it, and you touched on architecture, of certainly uh, uh, um, shows up in other um, control families. Definitely. So. All right. Well, if you're enjoying this conversation on YouTube, ring the bell to get notifications about my quest to find uh, literally any beer that's drinkable or subscribe to this in your podcast app of choice to make this show part of your routine. So, Tom, how does architecture uh, in PL8, that's specific control, align with the other FedRAMP requirements that might address architecture? Yeah, this is really interesting to me because one of the very first things anybody who's going through the FedRAMP process does is they create a boundary diagram, mm -hmm. which anybody who's done architecture would say that's an architectural diagram, and it certainly is. This is different. This is asking you to specifically address the security elements 
associated with what's in what's in boundary. So you might have elements in that document. You're certainly not going to have them all. You're certainly not going to call out each and every call that's occurring between different applications and how it's encrypted and things like that. That's going to be part of your your security architecture specifically. Mm -hmm. And then what I think is interesting, if you went back and you referenced architecture in all of the families of controls, you're not going to see it show up anywhere nearly as prescriptive as it shows up in this family. And again, that there's lots of families of controls where you'd expect it to system and communications, for mm -hmm. instance, you would think, Oh, you know, they're going to call out architecture. Well, there's hints at it. There's calls to, you know, something that feels a little like architecture. This is, this is the place where it's really about writing uh, that down and making saying, sure you've got everything yep. documented adequately. Exactly. This is where FedRAMP is making sure you've written it down and specifically from a, a security controls perspective. Okay. All right. And so then thinking forward, like, what strategies should organizations adopt to keep their SSP up to date? Because it's not good enough to, to just write it down once, right? How, do, how should organizations be keeping their SSP up to date and reflective of their current uh, security posture? Yeah, essentially, you should, you should think about your SSP as part of your, your change control. So in many organizations, change control is old hat, but certainly having a document like this size and this heft governing pieces of of change control is different um, if you're making changes that impact what you have written in your ssp those have to get approved up through uh, your agency generally um, there's some exceptions of course i mean if it's if it's non-security impacting if it's or if it's a bug fix and or vulnerability fix um, you just have to track those in the po in the poam but certainly if you're making changes to how you have stated your you've rolled out a control um, that has to be updated in the SSP. The best place to do that is where it's agreed upon. You're going to make those changes, right? And that's your change board, your change process. So that's the most effective way. You're probably going to look at this in a very formal way annually, either way. Um, you know, if, if you don't feel a, a high comfort level that you've, you've captured everything, you certainly better. Um, this is the strategy, you know, the, the change control strategy is a strategy I would give you to say, you can feel good annually that you haven't missed anything. Yeah, and really just make sure it's up to date and you haven't, like you say, missed anything in writing it down. There's one, uh, Tom, I know you wanted to talk about uh, Control PL4. And uh, can you set this one up for the viewers for what it's trying to accomplish and how organizations should be trying to meet that requirement? Again, PL4. Sure. PL4 is, is the requirement for a rules of behavior mm -hmm. document. And a rules of behavior document is something that anybody who's accessing the security boundary has to sign in the organization. So that's that could be your employees, that could be a contractor if you have them, we don't. Um, if you bring in third parties to help on something, uh, maybe you maybe in your environment you have your own storage arrays and you brought in the vendor to help implement the, the storage array, but it happens to be within boundary, they would also have to uh, sign the document. You know, there's lots of pieces that, uh, as I indicated earlier, Kane, that you're going to see in in lots of your other documents that you've uh, you've created in your environment. So, code of conduct, for instance, right. acceptable use, for instance. Mm -hmm. So you can use that as inspiration or pull line items directly out of it. But there's some pieces also that you may not have in either of those documents that is that is required. For instance, it requires that you denote what is acceptable with social media, and it, it kind of makes a delineation here: social media external websites and or applications. Oh, okay, right. What they're asking what what they're asking you to do here is understand that there is organizational information that every employee has 
and they should know how and when they can share that information mm-hmm. or not share that. That's information. what or not share that information. So, you know, a good rule of thumb is if you've if you've already classified all the data in your organization like we have, mm-hmm. you can you can use that classification as guidance. So anything that you you know in our world, anything you deem as public is shareable. Um, but I like to put caveats around even that that say, you know, in general, uh, we should be looking at how um, that data might impact an organization and look for if additional approvals are, are, are required. So, for instance, you want your marketing team to be able to absolutely like shine a light on new and upcoming, upcoming feature sets. But if those new and upcoming feature sets a, aren't approved through um, the change control process uh, are potentially going to hit pitfalls and be changed mm-hmm. through, um, you know, through your agency um, agreement. Well, maybe you don't want to share those yet. Another piece of this is you might have identifiers that are unique to just your security um, boundary, and you don't want to share those as well. Uh, This includes things like secrets, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a password that you use in boundary, you know, don't, don't go and use it on your LinkedIn account as well. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just, I'm I'm thinking on marketing, like um, an organization that I was previously with in the defense industrial base, we had a a photo policy. Um, and if we had a photo of like, here's our team, look at us, we're people. Um, we had to scrub the background so hard. Like we would try yeah. to get photos of the office adjacent workspace and still like stuff being left on whiteboards, stuff that was in frame for pre-production items. Cause there's some mechanical engineers who tended to be a bit loose about showing off what they were working on, had to scrub all of that out. Uh, and I imagine that would I'm, also I'm familiar with too. that. Yeah. Yeah, we, I, I built data centers for a living, mm-hmm. right? So um, anytime we talked about doing a video walkthrough of a data center, we had to be very careful. We did not want to tip our hat on where cameras were, where um, where the particular door controls were, because that was a big one. Oh, definitely. So certainly we didn't want to, we certainly didn't want to show where the main mechanical rooms and things like that were. So Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Familiar. Well, um, let's get to our beer reviews, Tom, on Highlight. Um, I think I went last oh. time for last time I went first. So how about you go first? Although this is your favorite, so I'm guessing you're going to give this a high review. <laughs> yeah, this is absolutely one of my favorites. I've sat uh, many times on an oceanside restaurant down in uh, Florida and had one of these beers. That sounds pleasant. Uh, t- it is pleasant. It, it, it's a perfect sipper for when you're you're sitting on the dock or something similar. Um, it is definitely an IPA, although I'm going to tell you it's it doesn't bite like some. Um, so if you like IPAs, you'll probably love this beer. Um, if you're if you're looking for a beer that uh, you can you can enjoy when you're in Florida, uh, this is one of the biggest microbrews in the nation, but it's very popular down there. I love it. I think it's it's something that uh, I often have in the fridge. So mm-hmm. I'm going to give it an eight because I'm always looking to be optimistic that something better will come along. An but eight. I think it's very good. Okay. Well, you're giving it an eight. So um, as usual, I tend to sniff these things after this sh- or this we're getting into the reviews, and um, it it's calmed down on the citrus front quite a lot. It now just smells kind of malty, kind of caramelly, kind of hoppy. Um, I always also take another sip and. Uh, Yeah, it tastes kind of flat and sour. Um, so yeah, it doesn't does not exactly lend itself to. You say this is good for sipping. Um, I feel like this would be something that, it, it, at least in my environment, it does not aged well over the episode time recording time. Um, having said that, it's also 
compared to some of the stuff we've had on here, um, I, I think you could always say we could do better. I've learned we could always do worse. Um, <laughs> shout out to Cinnamon Bun Sticky Ale, forever in my nightmares. Um, I'm going to give this a four. This seems very oh. generic, middle of the road, inoffensive adjacent, um, but also not something that I would... Um, if I was in Florida at a seaside restaurant, I would not be drinking a beer. Actually, I'd probably have a gin and tonic um, or a good glass of wine. So, uh, Excellent. at least we've come down. So, you've got an eight of four. So, between the two of us, actually, about halfway. Cool. Well, yeah. um, that's all for today. If you think you know a beer that I'd like. <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> good luck. Or if you have a Fed Ramp question, drop it in the comments below. And remember to like our LinkedIn and YouTube pages to hear live interviews with information security professionals. Thanks, everyone.